Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. (laughs) Oh, man, I I love celebrating dads and celebrating fathers. Fathers, we're so thankful for you. We thank you for the role that you play, whether you are a father or a spiritual father, an adopted foster father, whether you're just like, I don't know, a cool uncle who stepped in or a grandparent, you know, whatever that might be, whatever facet of life, we just want to say thank you. We love, we honor you. We know that, and I know that the, the mantle of leadership in a family is a lot and it's heavy, but God is good. And man, we are just so grateful for the men who have really led in that way. So we want to honor you. We had these, um, in fact, my keys right there. Here, throw that thing to me. There we go. Thank you. We have uh, these keychains that we had made, out, and they have our logo on the back, and then they say, Man of God. And we want to give these to all the fathers and celebrate you because we are believing and want to encourage you as you step out and continue to walk to not only be uh, a father or a leader or whatever it might be, to be a man of God. And we know that God is pleased with you and celebrates you. So I want to do this this morning. If you are a father in any shape or form, would you uh, stand up or raise your hand? And we'd love to honor you this morning. Can we just honor dads this morning? There we go. Go ahead and stand up. They're going to bring you something. Perfect. Good job. Good job. Good job. You guys can stay standing right, right here. Did you get one? Right here in the middle. Clarissa, right here. Right here. Come in the middle. We just skipped this whole middle section. Good job, Gianna. That's good. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. You can, you can go ahead and sit down. Let's, we want to pray for you. Can we pray for, for dads this morning? Lord God, we thank you so much for fathers, for what a blessing they are. If you're a father, I just want to pray a blessing over you. God, I pray you would bless these men of God. I pray you would bless their lives and their homes and their families. We pray an encouragement upon them even today that they would be empowered by your spirit, knowing that you're with them and walking the journey with you. So we praise you for them. We're thankful for them in your name. Amen. 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 I want to encourage you, Dad, too, if you grab some coffee and donuts on your way out. And um, actually, if you're a man here as well, we're going to give you guys one of these, too, because... Today, we're really branding the men's ministry at our church. We have a great men's leadership team led by David Barry, and uh, yeah, they're awesome. Uh, it was a blast going on the camping trip, and we talked a lot on that camping trip about being men of God, and we came back, we're like, man, really, this is where God is calling us uh, to be men of God, to be men uh, that reflect the character and the heart of God that are modeled after Christ. And so we said, hey, we're just going to call the men's ministry here men of God. So we, we're launching that. In fact, we have a, a men's breakfast July 9th, and then what we're going to do as men of God is go and serve at Unite Phoenix. So I encourage you, sign up for that. All the info's on our website and on Church Center and all those good places, but man, we are believing God for some awesome things. He kicked off some great things on the camping trip, but we're believing for some incredible things uh, as we strive and seek to be men of God. But I want to talk about that today, and I want to begin. I just want to read a scripture over you today. It's 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. And it says says this, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. But it says in there, act like men. The question is, what does it mean to act like men? 
I think there's a lot of input here on what it means to act like men. There's a lot of cultural input. I watch a lot of Western movies. Um, there was a time we didn't have like Hulu or anything like that. So I, I have the, the rabbit ears. And on the rabbit ears, you get like four channels. Three of them are shopping. And one of them is Grit TV, which is the greatest channel that's ever been created. Because essentially, you're watching old Westerns or insurance commercials with Burt Reynolds. That is the content of the whole channel. And I love old Western movies. Uh, they have lots of space in them. Uh, you know, like, meaning, like, there's a lot of breathability in air. They're not, like, as intense. They don't give me anxiety. Uh, but they, uh, they're, they're really incredible. But in every Western, there's usually some moment where, like, some guy's talking to, like, a woman that he's recently, like, shook. I don't know why every time they'd held women, they would shake them. They'd be like, you gotta go to, you gotta calm down, right? It's like, she's not gonna calm down if you're shaking her. Or they're looking at a kid, or, like, a small boy, or, like, a horse. I don't know. And usually they'll say something like, a man's gotta like insert blank here, right? So it's like, a man's got to fight for what he believes in. A man's got to shoe a horse. Or there's always something like, a man's got to gotta do what, a, I don't know, what a man's got to do, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what the thing is. But usually there's always some defining moment where they talk about being a man. But what I find interesting culturally today is that I would say our culture is confused about men. Most of culture has not seen the right version of men, the right version of masculinity. And so it's kind of a response. Culture has turned away and in many ways sought to abandon masculinity. But masculinity is not the problem. The problem is what has been defining masculinity. What has been defining masculinity and defining men. Hear me, men. God made men to be men. It's crazy what's controversial today that uh, was not controversial like two and a half years ago. But God made men to be men. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, God, let, God said, let us make man, meaning mankind, in our own image. He's speaking to the Trinity here. They're gathered together in the heavenly realm. So let's make them after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God who created him, male and female, he created them. Now, when we did our marriage sermon, we talked about complementary distinctives. And though men are men and women are women, they are equal in value before God. But the genders have complementary distinctives. There's a headship of men in marriage and the household. There's an understanding. There's all of these levels of being complementary but different. Men and women are different. They have different distinctives in the relationship. They have different biblical commands over their life and some that are the same. But though they're equal in value before God, they're different. They're different in distinctives. And so as men, every man has inherent masculinity. And I would say anytime we uh, talk about that word masculinity, for some it's going to be a rallying word, but for some it's going to be a buzzword. But the reality is that masculinity is just simply our raw material as men. When that raw material is shaped by a perverse world, it becomes perverse. But when that raw material is shaped by the Creator, it becomes its created intent. And so if masculinity is the raw material, if it's the, the ore, the iron steel ore, if it's the raw material, then biblical masculinity is like the forged sword. 
It's the result of workmanship and crafting. But the modern problem we face is that culture has offered shortcuts to masculinity that undercut biblical truth. Culture, it's so interesting what's happening in culture right now, and I don't know if you've, if you've seen this or not, but this is the trend that we are in, is that culture has offered many shortcuts for men to settle for lesser or to be obsessed or even addicted to lesser things when God created us for so much more. And yet, as men continue to settle for those lesser things, they become worse men. And so society says, well, we don't want that. We don't want that kind of masculinity. And so they push back even more. And so it's just this constant cycle of undercutting masculinity as it was never intended to be anyways. As a father, though, I'm, I'm looking at raising my son in this modern world. When it, in, it's interesting. We... Uh, when we had Lucy, I was like, yeah, one kid is good. And then we're like, no, we're going to adopt. And we adopted Henry. And now that I'm raising a son, I'm thinking differently. Because you raise kids differently. Like the things I, you know, there's some ways they're the same. And some ways they're profoundly different, right? How I'm thinking about how my son interacts with the world is different. Because there's many ways that the world wants to fashion my son's masculinity. And I see this tension between the biblical standard and what the world is trying to fashion. Because there's components of masculinity that are inherent within us as men, but the world is trying to create something that is a shortcut, but that shortcut leads to, I don't know, however you would want to say it, like, uh, I, I, I am careful to say toxic masculinity because that some, comes with so much baggage, but I would say not true, strong, biblical, firm masculinity. And when I say masculinity, I'm not talking about your muscle mass. I'm not talking about your interests or hobbies. I'm not talking about whether you do dishes or not. I'm not talking about whether you can climb a mountain. I'm talking about the inherent nature of you as a man. It's like, well, I don't like sports. That's not what I'm talking about here. And I hope we hear that, right? I can lift heavy things. Yep, great. I'm talking about at the core of our identity as men. So I see this tension. I want to give you three places that I see this tension. Can we do that? Is that okay? Okay, three places. One, competence and mastery. Competence and mastery. I see this often in young men. There is a deep desire to be good at something, right? Competence and mastery. There's a desire in young men to be good, some, good at something. And in the past, the ability to master a skill or trade meant a lot of things for your life, right? If you mastered a skill or trade, it meant opportunity, it meant you could set out on your own. I know, young people, there was a time where people wanted to move out of their parents' home. I know, mind-blowing cultural statement right now. It is possible you can do it. But the reason was you could set out on your own. You could get married. You could be independent. But beyond that, you'd have a greater sense of self-worth. You'd be engaged in conversations with adults. You'd be shaped as a member of society. There was within us this desire to master something. But the modern tension, the modern problem is that most men have become masters of lesser things. There is in life greater things than lesser things. The danger of investing our life in mastering lesser things is that they are easier to accomplish and therefore we don't put the work in mastering the greater things. Let me explain. Many people spend such 
a great deal of time on digital platforms that they master developing digital relationships and achievements, but do not have the grit to develop in-person relationships, which is a greater thing. That is not to knock digital experiences. I'm not mocking that. I'm not putting that down. I'm just saying there's a greater thing called in-person relationships. In-person relationships. But the difficult thing is that many, especially young men I've noticed, are so locked in to these digital relationships that they say, well, I just can't make in-person relationships. And if you think you're unique in this conversation, you're not. I have this conversation probably every month. And it's usually with someone who is, spends a ton of time on a digital platform but struggles with in-person relationships. And the conversation is usually like, well, it's just too hard. I don't know what to do. And, I, and my question is, is it that we don't know what to do or is it we're not willing to do it all the way? Because I'll ask, like, okay, well, explain to me, because I don't really understand that world very well. I mean, a little bit. I play Skyrim occasionally if I can find the Xbox controller. My kids haven't hit it somewhere in the house. And the Xbox has all the plugs and cables and stuff somewhere. And the kids haven't hit them in the house. Um, and there's time. <laughs> you know, it works out. But I... I said, explain to me, did you understand this platform? Did you understand this game when you got it? No, I didn't understand it. What'd you have to do? Well, I had to learn it. Oh, you had to learn how to stream. You had to learn how this game works. You had to learn the platform. Yeah, I had to learn it. Okay, how'd you learn it? Well, I spent a lot of time doing it. Like, that's a great idea. You spent a lot of time doing something you didn't understand and you became great at it or you became good at it or mediocre at it. I don't know. But the reality is with relationships, the same thing holds true. We have to spend a great deal of doing something we're not that great at until we learn and grow in how to do it. But culture has deceived us. Because in-person relationships actually take this little thing called endurance. But modern culture has told man that you can take shortcuts into these lesser forms of mastery to receive satisfaction, but they're robbing us of long-term benefits. They're, they're robbing us of a sense of endurance. Lasting relationships take a mastering of friendship, which takes time, which takes suffering, which takes risking being hurt, right? Amen? That's a greater thing, but it's worth the greater risk. It's important that we as men become masters of the crucial things. I love that about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is empowered by the Spirit. Jesus Christ works a trade. He masters the Word of God, and Scripture tells us he grows in wisdom and relationships. Luke 2.52 says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus displays this drive for greater, this lack of distractions by lesser things. He'll sit down and with the most broken person cast up by society, but see to Jesus, that's not lesser, that's greater. But he's focused. The second tension that I see in the place I see inherent with, with men and culture is this idea of challenge and achievement. As men, we were created with a desire and inherent nature to long for challenge and achievement. I did youth ministry for a while, and I got to say, if you want high school guys to get interested in something, make it a competition. Yep. 
We would do these youth tours, and uh, after dinner, we'd have a big cleanup, and you would tell the high school guys, I had like a big group of high school guys, I'd be like, listen, whoever can clean up the most, I don't know, gets this slice of pizza. Like, they just ate a whole pizza, but they will murder each other for that one remaining slice, like, just to be the one who won. They'll be, like, running through, trying to pick up as much trash. Why? Because there's this, like, inherent sense of competition. Get a bunch of dudes together, and they will compete about something. You'll be sitting fishing in, like, a nice, peaceful setting, and someone will say, like, hey, bet I can throw a rock deeper into the water than you. And you go, no, they sink at the same rate. And they go, bet they don't. And then you have to find out who's better with throwing rocks into the water. And that doesn't matter if you're four or 50. I've watched 50. I was just fishing and watched two 50-year-old men argue about who could throw a rock farther. I know it doesn't change. <laughs> I know it doesn't change. There's something inherent, especially when we're younger, right? We're hardwired to test our metal and see how we measure up, especially young men. And if that's stewarded well in young men, you end up with young men who like to conquer challenges. I mean, that can lead to taking risks, but honestly, couldn't we just say, I think the world needs some men who are willing to take risks. But the modern problem that we face is that a lot of modern man's activities satiate our impulses without any real risk or long satisfying reward. Heard it said like this, it's like the thrill of victory from the comfort of your own couch. And again, I'm not uh, putting these things down, but I think we need to understand their place in our development as men who seek greater things is, you know, if we uh, win that game of, of Call of Duty or like, you know, Fortnite, maybe you tried like 18,000 dozen times to win that game of Fortnite and you finally win it or whatever, whatever it might be for you, whatever your thing might be, it will ignite the reward center of your brain and it will release chemicals in your body it will release dopamine, it will release good chemicals into your body that will affirm your action. And that sounds nice if that's not the totality of the development of your manhood, right? But the hard part is that those things, they develop within us a shortcut and teach our brain to learn a shortcut rather than perseverance. That's why they're made. That's why they're marketed. That's why they have an end. Like I was pointing to Gatana earlier because she's worked in the video game industry. That's why they make them the way they do, right? It's to release hits of the right chemicals in your brain so you feel like you achieved something even though you didn't, so you can keep coming back and receiving that sense of satisfaction. And it's not to mock that, but the reality is we need men who have a greater sense of perseverance. And if we train our brain constantly to receive validation from shortcuts, we will not overcome real difficulty. Your family needs a man who can persevere to overcome real difficulty. This is why as fathers, we have to teach our sons to endure. We have to get them away from the TV that is constantly hitting their brain with dopamine. We need to get them away from social media that is constantly hitting their brain with dopamine. And we need to bring them to places and opportunities that test their mettle in a discipling way so they can learn how to overcome. Did you know that they changed the algorithm of Instagram to match a, a scientific principle that makes it more random? So what happens is if you go on Instagram today and you're like, I'm going to check my Instagram, it'll give you like maybe three likes. It'll show them. And then you can like keep thing and it won't show you, but then randomly it'll show you like eight likes. And then you can keep going and then randomly it'll show you you got 15. But it's all random because it's a scientific principle that if you randomly release these things, you teach the brain to stay addicted to shortcuts rather than consistency because you're the product of social media, just in case you're wondering. 
But this is the thing. We have to learn endurance and long-suffering because if you've lived more than, I don't know, four years of life, you probably know a lot of life is endurance and long-suffering. But the best thing is there is a beautiful harvest of pressing into difficulty and not taking the easy way out. I think of Jesus when he was led out to the desert. Jesus in Luke chapter 4. It says, Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. I love this. Before Jesus went into ministry, before he stepped out, what did God did? He, he took, what did God did? Man, wow. <laughs> what did God do? Man. I promise. I have a master's degree. I went to school. I promise. <laughs> what he done did is he led him out to the desert, right? <laughs> Where one bandana. Um, he led him out to the desert into a place of testing. And what did Satan come do in Jesus' place of testing? He tempted him with what? Shortcuts. Hey, you're hungry. I know God's called you out here. I know you have the power. Why don't you take the shortcut and turn stones into bread? Hey, I know God said he was going to exalt you, but it sure feels like you're just kind of out here in the desert suffering for a long time. Why don't you just exalt yourself? Hey, I know God said he was going to provide for you, but it looks like he's nowhere to be found. And if God loved you, why wouldn't he be providing for you in the way you want right now? So you should just throw yourself down, and if he really loves you, shortcut. But Jesus rejected him. And thank goodness, because Jesus' ministry was full of opposition, right? Like, it didn't get easier after the desert. It wasn't like, oh, well, yeah, the desert, that was the hardest, and this is easier. Jesus learns. Jesus walked out in the face of opposition, a life fully connected to God. Some people say, like, well, I accepted Christ and things got more difficult. No, you just stopped taking shortcuts. Your eyes are open. You stopped taking shortcuts. See, wide are the arms of Christ that embrace the, the hurting and broken, but narrow is the road. Narrow is the road. Jesus endured hardship. He went to the cross for the glory on the other side. We need men who are willing to do the same. The third tension in place that I see is with love and pursuit. I see this all over, love and pursuit. I mean, most men, when they have some degree of competence and some willingness, I think, to take a risk, they're going to decide, okay, I want to pursue a woman, right? We're hardwired to be united with women as men. In the Garden of Eden, God makes man. Man is lonely. God makes woman, puts them both in the garden. They're naked. Man says, thank you. I know what to do from here. And then they live in the garden, right? And then they find that apple tree. And yeah, now we're here. No. But there's this inherent desire continuously in men to pursue. We were created to pursue. But to pursue a woman takes initiating, right? I know we now have the digital version of hit her with a club and drag her back to your house that uh, the caveman did. So we call it swiping, but it's the same thing. But it actually takes initiating. It takes vulnerability. It takes sacrifice. It takes being open to rejection. That's why biblical dating takes men, not boys. That's why biblical marriage takes men, not boys. Boys can get married. Men stay married. That's how it works because there's a commitment in pursuit. But there's a modern problem we have. I don't know if you have seen this modern problem. I have. It's flipping everywhere, and that's pornography and hookup culture. 
If you're here and you're like, see, it's Father's Day. We're talking about dudes. I knew we'd get to porn. <laughs> I agree. Me too. So I'll make a deal. Stop looking at pornography, and I won't have to talk about it anymore, and we'll both win. Yeah. Right? I would love, I would love to not have to preach. People say, I feel like the church just wants to guilt me. It's like, no, we want to be free. Yeah. It'd be like being like, stop preaching about slavery. Not until there's no more slaves. Right? I'm sorry to inconvenience people with the truth, but the truth is that pornography is slavery for the addict and for those involved and for those trapped in the industry, and we need to stop. We need to release that sin. But the hard part is we've made sexual satisfaction so easy, we've made it brutally selfish, and we made it relatively risk-free. You don't have to improve yourself. You just have to click a link. If you don't like this one, just close that and click a different link. It's free. It's unlimited. And it's a modern shortcut, right, men? We get what you, you get what you want in, like, the primal sense that, like, animals do, I guess. But there's no commitment. And that, that word is important because without commitment, it robs an essential piece of manhood, which is commitment. An essential piece of manhood. Men, you are being cheated out of an essential piece of your masculinity by robbing yourself of the principle of commitment. There's, that's the strength of masculinity is commitment. That takes grit. That takes strength. Jesus' life was marked by commitment. It was marked by sacrifice. It was marked by vulnerability. The church is his bride, and no one is more committed to his bride than Jesus. No one is more committed than Jesus Christ. That's why in Ephesians 5, when speaking to husbands, Scripture says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, <clears throat> gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. I love speaking on that because the first portion that talks about submitting and following your husband is, is lining the wife that she might walk in her place in, in the relationship. And this part about serving as, as Christ of the church is a powerful recognition of the husband's role. As Christ loved the church, Jesus is the pinnacle example of pursuing with love that he sacrificed. And I see these three tensions, and what I see in that, in that place of these tensions is that the world does not want strong men, or else it wouldn't keep trying to shortcutting the, the more difficult, long-standing work of biblical masculinity. The world doesn't want men to look like Jesus, because when men step into biblical manhood and biblical masculinity, it takes away the foothold and the lies of Satan. An evil world wants weak, limp, spiritual men and crappy dads. That's what the world wants. Why? Because in cutting down the men who are supposed to be the leaders, who are supposed to take headship, who are supposed to step up into leadership, you know what Ephesians 5 is supposed to do? It's not supposed to make women step down. It's supposed to make men step up. We're called to be leaders. It's paramount. Unless you have not turned on the news, you might not be aware. It is paramount today more than ever that men become men of God. So what's a man of God? Well, there's lots of facets when we talk about what Scripture says to men. But how do we understand what it means to be a man of God? Well, first and foremost, as a man of God is one who is reflecting the nature of Christ. Christ is our model. 
Christ is the model of what it means to be a man. He was a man, fully God, fully man. That's the great thing. He's our example. He's our model. When it says a disciple models their life after the person they're being discipled under. So for us, it's Christ. So I want to read you a scripture, and I just want to start at the core. I know when you have, you know, see things about like manhood and masculinity, you might be like, you know, men have this caliber of rifle. I mean, I probably do, but we're not here to talk about that, right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the core, at the center, at the root of what it means. I want to read a scripture to you, Philippians 2, and I just encourage you, just, just receive this. Put yourself in a posture to receive it. And hear about Jesus. Philippians 2 verse 3. It's not on the screen. I just want to speak it over you. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. A couple things that we read here as we look at Christ as the model. A man of God is humble. Someone say humble. A man of God is humble. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility. I've seen so many men with a passion and vision be lost and hurt and sorrow because they cannot be humble. This is the root of everything. This is the root of so many things is humility. Are you humble? Are you humble before God? Micah 6, 8 says, He's told you, O man, what's good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. One of the great quotes about humility is that humility is not thinking less about yourself, but thinking about yourself less. A humble man asks, who is my life focused on? Is the totality of my life focused on the fulfillment of my desires or God's? Is the totality of my life focused on my glory or God's? In the way that I think I'm even pursuing God, is it really just for my glory in the end anyways? What is my heart focused on? Am I stepping into a place of humility? When was the last time you asked yourself truly and really in my life, does my life model and reflect humility? Because Scripture says in Matthew 23, 12, Jesus says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. See, on the surface, that might sound kind of scary, like, oh, man, God's going to cut me down, or like, if I go alone, if he'll lift me up. Listen, Christ is already lowly. He says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for it's easy. He says, for I'm humble and lowly in spirit. Christ is already in that space. When you humble yourself, you go to where Christ is. Christ is in humility. But often we're carrying such a burden of exalting ourselves, building ourselves up, promoting ourselves. Fear if we don't promote ourselves, nobody else will, so we'll never achieve anything. We live in attention. But through Christ, when we humble ourselves, Scripture says, he exalts exalts us. That should give us peace. Men of God should live in peace at the workplace and at home and in our, in our culture and even in this crazy nation because we have the peace of knowing that as we humble ourselves, God exalts. And God has all the power to do the exalting. 
We have limited finite power, but God has infinite power to exalt, to lift up, to renew, to restore, to bless. Did you know that God does actually bless people? That God does actually honor people? That God does actually exalt people? And he says the key to that is to bring yourself low in humility. If we want to be great men, it starts by being humble. Secondly, a man of God serves faithfully. Someone say faithfully. faithfully. Man of God serves, but he doesn't just serve. He serves faithfully. If we go back to Philippians 2 and verse 6, it says, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. What, this is the model for us, men, is that Jesus was the greatest, right? He's God, but he came down and took the place of a servant. Think about that. The God of the universe who's present at creation, who we say, if we're believers, we're going to follow you and model our whole life after you. He took the place of ser to be a servant. Christian leadership is servant leadership. It is not dominion. It does not express authority over others and domineering. It is servant leadership. So if you want to be a man of God who follows God, you should take the position that Christ took. What was that position? Servant leadership. In our home, in our jobs, in our cities, it's not about fighting for a spot. It's about taking the spot. It's about being that crazy guy who washes the feet of others, literally and metaphorically. That's the beautiful thing, is that Christian leadership is servant leadership. And we don't do it casually, we do it faithfully. I love that Jesus is committed to his word. It says, he was faithful even unto death. You know when you did those marriage vows and you said, till death do us part, you weren't threatening the other person, right? It wasn't like, you do what I say or else, right? That was a commitment that reflects the heart of Christ. All the, now, you might not have to die for your spouse. I'm, I'm praying, right? But you will have to die to yourself daily for your spouse, right? Anybody who's been in a good marriage for any amount of time knows it takes dying to yourself daily. But this is the beautiful thing. As we step in as men of God, is that rather than taking the shortcut, the easy out, the thing that makes it about us, the thing that makes it focused, think it says that's just too inconvenient, Men of God have a spirit of endurance. Did you know one of those fruits of the Spirit? When it lists faithfulness, that word is long-suffering, right? This idea of long-suffering. Long-suffering. That is not an exciting fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> to suffer for a long time sounds horrible. But if, you've ever li if you live on this earth, you know that's sometimes a part of life. How do you survive it without being miserable, bitter, frustrated? As you have endurance through the Spirit. See, men of God, God has called us to serve when it's inconvenient, not despite its inconvenience. What would happen if the men of God showed up to everything they said they would? And if you gave your word, you fulfilled it. What might it look like? It's a mildly shameful mark on our culture that men are not committed to their word and don't follow through. But as men of God, we model Christ. 
and Christ was faithful. And that's our format, is that we're faithful, and God is fruitful. We're faithful in our home, and God is fruitful in the home. We're faithful in our marriage, and God is fruitful in the marriage. We're faithful, God is fruitful. That's the format, in case you're wondering. It's faithful, 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 God is fruitful. I don't know how many faithfuls are in there for you, but I know at the end of it, God is fruitful. God is fruitful. Man, church, we need some go-over-the-mountains kind of men. We need some go-through-the-mountains kind of men. We need some, I'm faithful, I said I would do it, I'm going to finish it kind of men. I committed to it, you can count on me kind of men. Man, if Banner Church could be known for anything, could it be known where the men can be trusted and counted on? You can count on me. It's like, well, uh, a man of God said it, so you can count on him to do it. Not, I hope he follows through. I hope a better offer doesn't come along. It's pretty inconvenient. I hope he has time in his busy schedule to do this for the kingdom. It's, man, he said it. He's going to do it. What's awesome is as we step out into faithfulness, God brings fruitfulness. You still with me? Okay, two quick things, and we're done. A man of God loves sacrificially. A man of God loves sacrificially. Jesus is the perfect example of this, right? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus goes to the cross for us because he loves us. Not because he's hoping you're going to earn it today, because you're going to make a good enough decision to validate his death. He went while you were still an enemy to him because he loved you so much, and that love is for you here today. But as we look at the heart of Christ, we should see that as the exemplary model to follow. Philippians 2.8 says, Being found in human form, he humbled himself, being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus gave his life for us. We're called to show that kind of love to others daily. Ephesians 5.25, I read it earlier, but it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the world, <clears throat> with the word. The world is confused about love. I can say that and in, in firmly believe that with everything that I have. So the world is very confused about this idea of love and what is love. But as believers, we have the model of Jesus, Jesus Christ's love. We have the model of his sacrificial love, that he died for us. That is the least selfish form of love you can have. He says, right, greater love has none than this, that a man would lay down his life for another, right? That is the least kind of selfish love. That is the kind of love that as men of God we model. Did you know marriages, if you're not married, let me tell you, marriages take that kind of sacrificial love. Men who are committed to sacrifice. Men who don't go, yeah, what about me? What shortcut can I take in this relationship to get the thing I want now, to violate this relationship and the sanctity of it, to just be selfish, but to say, Christ, help me to love like you. I can't do it by my own strength. I'm naturally selfish, but Holy Spirit, move through me that I can love like Christ has loved. You know, it takes a man who's tough. It takes a little bit of grit to sacrificially love because your flesh says, let's make it about me today. You know what? Get a little sand. It takes a little grit to actually love like Christ loved. Are you hearing me? To love like Jesus loved. But it takes a man who's tough, not rough. Those are different things. Tough enough to sacrifice. Tough enough to be patient. Enough endurance. 
and of trusting in the Holy Spirit to even walk through difficult things, but also vulnerable and open. That's why we have the Holy Spirit, isn't it? It's the Holy Spirit that's a difference maker between a man who's tough, who's walking faithfully in the Lord, and a man who's rough, gruff, bitter, frustrated, closed off. The difference is the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in our life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are all the attributes that as men we should walk out. As believers we should walk out, but we need the Holy Spirit to do it. Are you still with me? Okay, my last thing. A man of God glorifies God. And in fact, band, you can come up. A man of God glorifies God. I love this because Jesus came. He humbled himself. He served faithfully. He loved sacrificially. But then what? Well, then he was rewarded. And he was glorified by God. That's why in verse 9 of Philippians 2, if we go back there, it says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and on heaven and on earth and under the earth. I love that God glorifies Jesus. He glorifies him. He raises him to the right hand. Jesus is glorified, but God also promises to glorify the believers, to glorify those who pursue him, who live their life in worship of him. And it's not about what the world says you have achieved. It's about how we've humbled ourselves before him and served him and walked with him and walked in a loving relationship with him. But this is the call of, the, of men of God is, am I glorifying God with my life? Or am I just giving him a portion of my life? Because to worship God means to give him all of our life. We, glor we glorify God in our pursuit of holiness. I don't mean piety or better than, you know, otherness. But like 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, when it says, and we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. No one's perfect, but by the Spirit, God is taking us on a journey of sanctification to pursue holiness. Why? Because we're made more for more than the slavery of sin. Amen? made to worship God with our lives. The scripture is not about a list of things you can't do. It's about a list of things that God wants to release you from so that you can walk in the freedom of a relationship. It's not like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and you can get to heaven. It's that God longs for a relationship from you and anything of your old self. Man, die to that and receive new life. Pursue holiness. We glorify God in our integrity. How we speak, how we act, our character. Does your character glorify God today? Jesus says, he'll know we're his if we obey his commands. Our Christ affiliation should be noticeable by our Christ-likeness. We glorify God. We glorify God in our actions. I was told that actions speak louder than words, and I believe it's true. Scripture says that faith without works is dead. You can talk about all you want, but if you don't do anything, you're not that convincing. And that's not according to me, that's according to God. That's in how we treat our spouse. Men of God, we should respect and honor our spouse and our word and actions to their face and behind their back. Say, well, that's just how we talk. Okay, stop talking that way then. Well, that's just how we are. You don't get our dynamic. Okay, great. So does everyone else around you. It's about respect. It's about witness. It's about how we talk behind our spouse's back. Come on, somebody. Just said amen in their heart. <laughs> 
How do we speak to others about them? Oh, well, they just always do this. Man, men of God, let's honor our wives and our actions. Are we gentle? Are we caring? Are we patient? Yeah, but they always do this. Well, you said till death. It's in how we treat the church. Biblical manhood means acting as the church. That might be as simple as, man, I, I need to connect with some men. I need to call them on the phone. I need to make the call. People say, well, I've made the calls and people won't talk to me. Well, then sit with me. We'll make the call together. I think we can figure it out. It's in how we treat the lost. Did you know, men, that there are men of every shape and size in your neighborhood, in your job, who need encouragement this week? It might even be you. Need encouragement this week. Encourage someone. Encourage someone. Speak kind words to them. Also glorify God with our praise. Have you thought about this recently? If you live a life of worship, one of the things we do is the physical act of worship. And unfortunately, Western men have abandoned the call to praise. You travel the world and men worship, they dance. I know that's so confusing. It's like this mode of like suburban men don't dance. Go to a country Western bar, you guys dance. So okay, the rural people have it, right? <laughs> you go in the city, people are dancing. But it's like this little mode. It's like we don't dance. We just stand here quietly and judge the pastor. We say things like, we need to get Jesus back into the schools. No, we need to get praises back into the hearts of men. It's not about expression, it's about intent. But can I encourage you just on expression real quick? How many biblical man commands, commands of God would it take for you to sing praises to God? How many? Like one, two, five, ten? Scripturally, there's 50 biblical commands to sing. Now, being commanded is not a great motivation, but I think it should tell us that obviously God values that. And we should ask that question, why does he value that if he's commanded us 50 times in Scripture to do it? That's a lot. That's a couple baker's dozens. That's more donuts than are currently in the lobby. Why has he commanded us to do that? You're like, well, I don't know about singing. Listen, I, I don't think he commanded to hurt you or to twist you or to make service really neat. I think he wanted to give us a tool, and he did. Because praise is spiritual warfare. Men of God, the shout of the men of God in the church is profound spiritual warfare. It is the battle axe of the kingdom. It cuts away the deception, the destruction of the enemy. There is something powerful that happens. Revival breaks out when men of God praise him. So I want to encourage you, if you want to glorify God with your life, glorify him with your words, with your praise, with your singing. You're like, I, 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 don't, I don't sing on key. I don't like music. That's okay. Just speak out. Speak out scripture. Speak out the words. Speak it out in the wrong key. I love my father-in-law. I know we're running out of time, but I love my father-in-law. He loves to worship, and, you know, yeah, he loves to do it. Uh, <laughs> he loves to play guitar, but he is a man. Of, when he worships, he worships fully. He doesn't care what other people think of his voice. He doesn't care when he's playing guitar what they think of his singing. He just prays, and he's like a man. He's like an eagle scout, right? I mean, he can start a fire in the middle of Siberia, right? He can do it. He's a good dude. I like him. Uh, but he sings out. I've seen that modeled by great men in this church, and I just want to affirm and appreciate you that even in suffering, you've sung out because you set the tone that says this is a spiritual battle. Man, you were created to do battle in the spirit. 
You were created to be men of God, his men, his warriors. It doesn't matter if you like sports or board games or camping, if you're single, married, if you're young or old, God created you. The world needs you. Your family needs you. The church needs you. We need you to step up to the call of being men of God. And I want you to hear me say, men, God is pleased with you as men. Your manhood, your masculinity is not a mistake to God. He's pleased with you as men. Regardless even, this is going to sound crazy, of how you respond even in this moment, God still loves you and is pleased with you. But can I encourage you to step up as men and say, I commit to living as a man of God and see, see that God will bless that. Say, you know what, I'm not taking the shortcuts. I'm stepping into what God has biblical masculinity to set an example for a next generation. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you. Stand with me and bow your head and close your eyes this morning. If you're here today and you're saying, yes, Lord, I long to reject the shortcuts of culture, to step in to the enduring walk of biblical masculinity, to pursue God. And I'm here to say, I, I want to be a man of God in every possible way. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit right now, if that's you, the Holy Spirit right now would comfort you, that he would renew you, and he would strengthen you in that commitment. So if that's you and you're saying, Lord, I, that's my commitment before you to say, here I am. I long to be a man of God. Holy Spirit, move through me and strengthen me as I follow you to keep away the shortcuts, to walk faithfully with you. If that's you in this place, would you lift your hands? I just want to pray over you this morning. So I make that commitment today. I want to be a man of God. I want to pray with you. I want to pray over you. Let's pray together. God, I thank you. Holy Spirit, I thank you for these men in this place. And I pray over those this morning who are making that commitment. I pray a blessing over their life. Holy Spirit, I pray right now, would you renew them and would you strengthen them in that commitment? that they would pursue you fully and completely and walk in alignment with you. God, if there's anything in their hearts right now, if there's anything in hearts right now, I pray that they would repent and leave it at the altar to you. If there's shortcuts that we've given into, we release them. If there's things that we have taken up that we need to put down, we place them down. If there's attitudes we need to leave behind, we leave them behind. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower them to walk out the example of men of God, that they would be your man, your spiritual warrior in this moment, walking out and leading. I pray a great leadership in their family. I pray a great leadership in their home. I pray a great leadership in their work, God, and in their workplace and great opportunities as they show the example. I pray a rejection of the lies of the enemy, a rejection of shortcuts, a rejection this morning of the things that undercut biblical truth. And I pray this morning in the name of Jesus, we stand before you, God, and commit and say, Lord, we make the commitment to being men of God. Move, Holy Spirit, and strengthen these men, these fathers, these single men, the, these grandparents this morning, God. Strengthen them by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.